Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I'm uh, joined by geotechnical engineer Marcelo Giano. Marcelo, how are you today? Hello, Brian. Uh, thanks for the invite. I'm very uh, Thank you. Absolutely. And you're in um, Australia, is that right? You're in Brisbane? Yeah, we're in Brisbane, the East Coast, uh, the Sunshine State. Yeah, one of my favorite places in the world. It is my favorite place, and that's where I live here. <laughs> you know, it, it really is interesting. It's it's not really a touristy place, but like the the walkway along the river and all the little amusements that they have there. I know you're just coming into summer, so I don't know if the swimming pool is open, but you've got all those interesting little things along the river and people jogging and walking and just enjoying the outdoors. It's, it's a really enjoyable place to be. Yeah, the, the city has, uh, yeah, fantastic uh, uh, parklands. And uh, yeah, they invest quite a bit of money in that. And like we, everyone enjoys it. Uh, I think it's, it's very, very nice what they do uh, for people. And for it's really for the enjoyment of everyone. Yeah. yeah. So Marcelo, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education. Uh, yeah, um, so I am a civil engineer. I trained in, uh, back in Colombia uh, at the, the School of Mines of the National University uh, in Medellin. Um, I then moved to Brazil uh, and stayed there for, for some years. And I trained there and that's where I became a geotechnical engineer. I did a master's degree and a PhD uh, did, 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 did you have any jobs between Colombia and Brazil or you just went straight from undergrad to a master's program? Uh, yes, yeah, so I did start my first jobs uh, um, before I finished uni as, uh, as a, like a student in geotech. Um, so yeah, as I was telling you behind the scenes before I, I planned to train as a structural engineer and then I got my first job um in the area and i didn't really like it <laughs> so my best friend at the time he he did he he saw geotech as as, uh, as a more enjoyable uh, career path and when i was trying to look for a job he he told me like oh we're looking for people actually and i was like oh okay i'll just give it a go i need a job to uh, try to save some money and um so i did join him and I started my first job and like, I mean, we in Colombia, they sent us straight to the field as a, as a student engineer. And so I was yeah, in the jungles yeah. of Colombia, mm -hmm. uh, logging uh, test pits and yeah, doing yeah. Uh, site investigations and yeah. uh, even doing some topography work as well at some point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's interesting, the leap from structural to geotechnical engineering, because a lot of structural engineers think they can do geotechnical engineering you know yeah, I, I think that 
especially foundation engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's kind of an interface right between um, foundations and retaining walls. So there's there's a, kind of a gray area between those. But I mean, a geotechnical engineer would never presume to do uh, reinforced concrete design, where a structural engineer might. Um, um, decide what they think a friction angle is for example yeah and it's quite interesting because i mean it's not it doesn't only happen to structural engineers you see mining engineers as well pretending to be geotechnical engineers yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see geologists as well out there just trying to be geotechnical engineers <laughs> yeah yeah like leave, leave us alone please <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me about brazil how did what made you go to brazil yeah, so like my boss in Colombia, he 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 got a job as a, as a lecturer in Brazil. Um, so he was like, well, I asked him, I was like, oh, like uh, what opportunities are there? And I was like, oh, no, it's a fantastic country. Um, yeah, come over. So I I did apply for for the master's uh, course. Um, at the time, uh, Brazil was generous, very very generous, and like they offered us not just me, like, I mean, many Colombians and Peruvians and South Americans in general, um, they offer scholarships uh, to study master's degrees and um, education is for free in Brazil as well, which is fantastic. So yeah, pretty much they offer me a seat and um, yeah, and, and a scholarship. So it was like, it was almost a no brainer for me, really. Uh, uh, was, was that a Portuguese speaking university you went to? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> that was a bad, small mistake. So I did not speak yeah. Portuguese at the time. So I had to learn Portuguese in the go. Um, and yeah, that went well. Um, so yes. and, and when I finished the master's degree, and yeah, we started a small company with a friend, with a Colombian friend. Yeah. And we, so I was doing my PhD full-time and then working full-time with my friend in, in Colombian projects, like mostly query for query sites in Colombia. Okay, the, yeah. Production yeah. of uh, uh, cement and, and concrete. Uh, yeah, so then towards the end of the PhD is like when the opportunity to come over to Australia uh, came. Uh, okay. I did not speak it. sorry? How, how did that opportunity arise to move to Australia? Yeah, so uh, the my PhD supervisor, he had, one of his students was working at the university, or it is working at the University of Queensland, actually. He's a Brazilian, uh, uh, Dr. Dorival Pedroso here at UQ. Um, hmm. So that's how the contact was made. Um, and he was happy and very generous to uh, pay a top up to, uh, to my scholarship and, and accept me here and work with him for, for a year at UQ. Um, and I think you were just about to say you didn't speak English when you moved to Australia. Well, yeah, and I didn't speak English then. So <laughs> 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 that was that small problem I had to uh, overcome as well at the time. Um, and then while after working with Dorival, and that was like towards the end of my PhD, that's uh, when I met uh, David Williams, Professor David Williams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I, 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 I started in the industry, really, in like in the tailings industry. 
um, during my PhD and all my master's degree, I was always working with soft soils and all my all the theoretical developments and studies with the um, during the master's and the PhD. I mean, they were really just like a direct application into uh, into the tailings industry. So it was it was a very smooth transition. There was no like uh, news or like something that we didn't cover during those studies. Uh, uh, it was quite handy, and it's it continues to be quite handy. <laughs> so you know, I, I think your next move has to be to China, so you can learn yet another language. Uh, yeah, well, Chinese like that's that's uh, quite difficult. And to be honest with you, I I am not really good at languages, uh, which is surprising. Like uh, yeah. someone that speaks three languages, but. It, I mean, it came out of like one necessity and also, and second, it also, it's continuous training. So if I go back home for uh, say like three or four weeks and I speak Spanish with, with my parents, uh, when I come back, like, uh, yeah, like my, yeah, my, my speech is, is in the case very, very rapidly and it took to catch up as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so where do you work now, Marcelo? Uh, yeah, so I'm a specialist consultant with a company called Red Earth Engineering. Um, Red Earth uh, was founded uh, 10 years ago uh, by one, uh, by our current uh, managing director, Simon Jackson. Uh, because of the name Red Earth, um, so uh, it is not because a lot of people think it's because the Australian soil is characteristically red. But yeah. it's actually because Simon started working uh, with Red Mod in yeah aluminum refineries, um, aluminum refineries. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's how the company came about, and I joined them. Uh, I think it was last year, or the year before. Uh, yeah, and I've just been like working with them as a geotechnical specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, I would I assume. Yeah, I would assume that you work in other industries than aluminum, that you work in other types of tailings as well, or, or do you specialize in the red mods? Uh, I mean, we are definitely a special, we are specialists in red mods and we are very proud of that, uh, but we obviously uh, provide services to other commodities. Uh, BMA here in Queensland has a large uh, presence, so yeah, we... Mm -hmm. We provide services to the coal industry. Uh, we are also engineers of record for a large um, manganese operation up in the north. Um, gold mines, uh, we are just finishing a dam safety review for, for a gold mine in New South Wales. Uh, mineral sands in the west, uh, iron ore in the west, which is massive yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. Do you work so, internationally too, or is it mostly restricted to Australia? Uh, so mostly restricted to Australia, but we have um, like a small international presence. Last year we did uh, a due diligence project for uh, a Spanish uh, uh, for for Spanish uh, operation, and yeah. we also now have a scope of force for uh, the Pongera uh, mine in Papua New Guinea as well. Okay. So yeah, prim yeah. but prim primarily Australia, really. Right, yeah, there's plenty of work to do in Australia, so there's not much 
called to seek work overseas when it's much simpler to stay at home. Well, and the backlog here, like it's not like we serviced everything that is here. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, there's so much work to do. And when you talk to competitors and everyone else talk, uh, working in the space, it's more like we're just trying to attract talent to, uh, to help out with, uh, with the backlog that we have in the country. So Marcelo, what type of work do you find yourself doing most often? Um, so geo, as a geotechnical specialist, usually uh, traditionally, like I'm brought into projects when there is something that didn't go as planned. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if uh, yeah, there's like issues, um, so like a lot of troubleshooting, mm -hmm. really is like what 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 I do most most of my time. Um, and doing some of the, um, I mean, I, I don't like the name high end, but it's just like more specialized sort of service. Um, so uh, critical state line interpretation of parameters. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Parameter determination in general. Uh, interpretate, usually I have an input in all the interpretation uh, parameters that we do. Um, stress parts, uh, what is the, um, like how, how do, you, do you expect a material to fail given the circumstances or conditions that are on, on the side? So the guys yeah. will yeah, usually call me in when they and are discussing those matters. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You, you just mentioned stress paths and that's kind of how you and I got introduced to one another was a recent post that I put on LinkedIn about more circles, just trying to explain really to non-geotechnical engineers or, or people who are in their very early stages and for sure not somebody with a master's but just trying to describe to them what a Mohr circle is which it's a pretty clever way to represent this the state of stresses on a soil at any point in its history and you chimed in and said well you know what stress paths are a lot more meaningful and they are they definitely are so you need to know how they got to the failure line, not just what is the failure point. And uh, I, I think anybody that doesn't know what a stress path is, there's probably quite a few YouTube videos available to describe that. So, so that's uh, how you and I got introduced to each other anyway. Yeah, and um, like the more cool um it's fantastic it's a fantastic tool like i mean the visual representation representation that it gives you is like it's unmatchable and that's the reason it's, it's so it's so famous and that's that is why it's so close to everyone's heart like like geotechnically speaking um and probably that's the reason it's it's, it's so difficult to supersede um and um yeah the comment uh, that i put in, uh, in in your linkedin post is more like you're just encouraging um, people to be curious about it and just like, okay, yeah, like we have this tool, um, uh, but there is more, like, I mean, it's, 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 it's a giant universe and um, there's so much more than you can learn about the soil. Um, the more Coulomb, as you uh, replied to one of my comments is, I mean, it's a snapshot, uh, but when you think on soil failure, like, I mean, you can see a movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and the duties that you uh, like to perform or that you often find yourself performing, it, it's what is to me is one of the most rewarding things in geotechnical engineer, and that's solving problems. I, I always love to 
solve a problem, not not point a finger at it, not to say there's a problem or you guys made a problem, but to identify it and solve it. And that that to me is pretty uh, satisfying. Absolutely. And like, I mean, we, I think like most of the people that become engineers is because they like to solve problems. And uh, I do feel there's a tendency to overlook problems in like the uh, corporate world today. Uh, our yeah. discipline obviously like has, like we operate in corporations or like big enterprises, some other smaller ones. But, um, and problems are just seen as an obstacle, not something that you need to overcome to become better. Um, so I, I mean, every time like I see a problem, I just get excited. It's like, okay, like, this is something that we need to solve. We just give it a go. And like, I mean, yeah. if we fail, we fail, but <laughs> yeah. at least we, we give the best of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you actually, like in terms of like, yeah, problems, uh, uh, I've seen some of your interaction with filtration. Um, how do you, uh, what are some of your insights in, in that area? Like, I mean, it is a problem that uh, we're trying to sort out. Uh, yeah. You know, somebody had a post, I think it was on LinkedIn. They said, you know, if everyone used filtered tailings, then we wouldn't need tailings engineers any longer. And that is 100% not true because you still have soil mechanics. You're never going to have some dry granular material that doesn't have any problems. Uh, it, the filtered filter cake almost always comes out somewhere around optimum moisture content. And you have to look, if, if you've got any plasticity, it's always informative to look at the Atterberg limits and see where that moisture content is compared to the Atterberg limits. You might be pretty close to a what the, the Atterbergs tell you is a liquid um, behavior, which really doesn't have anything to do with a real liquid behavior. You know, the the little device that you use to to find liquid limit that doesn't <laughs> you, you'd never find that definition in a dictionary. You know, use a little cup that goes ding 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 ding, and the two pieces. No, that that doesn't really describe a liquid, but it, it it kind of anyway puts a dividing line but if if you've got to look at the Atterberg limits and also a friend of mine at uh, UBC in Vancouver likes to remind people that Aberfam was a technically a dry stack it was a cold tip so it was just a dry uh, waste pile or supposedly dry but it catastrophically flowed and failed and killed a lot of people so just because something is seems to be dry doesn't mean that it's not a problem so there's there's still challenges even with the filtered tailings the drier the better but it costs a lot of money to get them really dry yeah so you think like the cost is really the driver for, for this technology it certainly can be yeah you know just a few years ago people would would uh, rapidly say we can't afford that but mm -hmm. people are looking closer and closer at it and even places that produce up to 300,000 tons a day are taking a pretty hard look at filtered tailings where five or ten years ago you would not consider it at all for 300,000 tons a day yeah what do you think is the maximum uh, throughout that we can like well, achieve today with it 
Yeah, well, right right now, that's uh, in Australia. There's a place that says that they produce at 30,000 tons a day, but I think 15,000 of it is on a screen, and 15,000 is by filter plant. I could be wrong, mm -hmm. but I think 15,000 is pretty easy to do. And all you have to do is get equipment that's 10 times bigger or 10 times more to be able to do 150,000 tons a day. Yeah, you'd have more problems, but I mean, you know, there was a time when cars only had one or two cylinders, one or two pistons, and now they commonly have six or eight or some even have 12. So just because something is one size today doesn't mean that it can't be uh, expanded and increased over time. Yeah, so it almost seems like it's something you can you can adopt slowly or? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a pretty wise thing to do is to go in baby steps and don't just go full on on first on the first day. Just have a ramping up period, especially if you've got something that's say over ten thousand tons a day. I think ten thousand tons a day is pretty conventional for filtered tailings. I think that's fairly easy to produce. Um, uh, just like everything, the devil's always in the details. You know, you've got to figure out if if you've got um, bad weather periods, whether it's cold or wet or whatever, you've got to figure out if you can't drive on the filtered tailings, then you can't deliver it to these areas. What what do you do? He's uh, mentioned Papua New Guinea. You know, they've got lots of wet weather there. And then in the south of Australia, you've got lots of wet weather there. So how do you accommodate filtered tailings when you've got wet weather? So do you have a good good weather and bad weather areas to dispose? Yeah, you know, it's, just, just, it's, it's just common sense, but it's not common unless you've done it before or been exposed to it. Yeah, there's, um, I follow um, Charlie Munger uh, and he keeps saying like, I mean, common sense is not common at all. <laughs> no, it's not, no, <laughs> no, you're, you're certainly not born with it. Yeah, exactly. So I did see, um, there was a post from a geotechnical engineering valley this morning uh, talking about filtration. So yeah, it will be really interesting to see what they come up with uh, with, this, with the rainy weather that exists in Brazil and and this technology. So yeah, I was going to ask you where was where was your university in Brazil? Uh, so that was Brasilia, uh, uh, the capital. So yeah, dry, dry climate. Yeah, uh, in the, right in the middle of the country. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like a, maybe eight hours drive to go to Minas Gerais uh, to Belorizonte. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where I've been a couple of times and and around Belorizonte. Yeah. Marcelo, mm -hmm. we've talked about a lot of things. Is there anything that we've left out that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, not really. Like, I mean, it's just um, just having a chat about geotech and like a bigger picture uh, it's it's yeah. always it's always yeah. fun i think uh, yeah um yeah i don't know like i mean um 
I wish we were more more open with information uh, to learn our lessons and to um, to learn of our mistakes as well because we make them often. <laughs> and uh, you know, we as tailings engineers, we come across solutions that we think are really unique, and we don't want to share it with anybody else. We use it as marketing tools, and um, and and then of course. Failures, and by failures, I don't mean something that catastrophically flows and, and lives are lost, but, you know, even the most subtle kind of failures, whether it's uh, inappropriate use of a geomembrane or, you know, any, it would be nice if the world could learn by even the tiniest mistakes. Yeah, like I mean, open and share of information, it really helps everyone. Uh... I do, I do feel sometimes, and I, yeah, frustrates me to be honest a little bit how slow we are in the industry, uh, geotech in particular, not like necessarily tailings, uh, to adopt like the new trends. And uh, I mean that sort of like brings me back to um, to your post in LinkedIn about uh, more Coulomb um, being a fantastic tool, uh, but I mean there's like newer technology that is better, tells you more. Uh, so, like, I mean, we should embrace it. I use the example of the phones. Uh, like, we all have phones in our pockets that are five years right. old. Right. And we are willing to use them. Uh, so, why not use like something like, not just like, I mean, uh, stress pads and, and that sort of thing. Just, uh, I feel like being more open will help yeah. the industry a lot. Right, right. Yeah. Marcelo, we've uh, spent quite a bit of time together, and I, I know you're a busy guy and you need to get back to your life, but was there any key takeaways or pearls of wisdom that you want to lay on us before we part ways? Uh, um, word of wisdom, probably uh, making mistakes is, is not bad, and admitting that you make mistakes and not, it's just not bad either. It's part of life, and uh, if you admit that you made one, do it as quick as possible and uh, just trying to come out with a recovery plan and life goes on and hopefully like next time you, you'll do better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was some author and I don't recall who it was or what the situation was, but he said you're supposed to fail fast. Yeah. <laughs> and just just get it over with, learn from it, get it behind you and, and you know, you won't have to do it again. And try to get up faster than than you fell, and like, and it will be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marcelo, I appreciate your time. It's been uh, really enjoyable catching up with you. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, I'll keep looking up at uh, your LinkedIn and the space and the fantastic job you're doing with this podcast. Is I think it's very, it's very nice to uh, bring people together in a more informal way. Uh, we all catch up like in the conferences and stuff, but. Uh, yeah, we definitely need more uh, ways of interact with each other. So yeah, it's really nice the work that you do for for the industry. So yeah, thank you very much for that. Yeah, I appreciate that, and uh, hopefully we can run into each other one of these days. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be in the conference in Denver, hopefully. So oh, I should be there too. Uh, yeah, there we'll, we'll definitely run into each other. All right. Thanks thank again, you. Marcel. Cheers, right. Ryan. Ciao, ciao.
Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.